You're listening to the IVP Heat Seekers Podcast, part of the RotoHeat.com family of podcasts. Welcome back, Heat Seekers. It's Monday night. We are late May, getting to the quiet time of the offseason, but it's only heating up here at RotoHeat. Tonight we're talking IDP. Tonight we're talking IDP edge players, and especially our top rookies. Uh, we got a few that maybe don't line up the same, so we're going to have some fun conversations tonight. As always, we appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Don't forget to slam that like button, the notification icon, and stay up to date every time we go live. Uh, we go live two nights a week right now, and we have a special Thursday night edition with our, our boys from Front Yard Fantasy. We're going to be having a fun night this Thursday, so make sure you don't miss it. It's going to be a great time. With all that being said, my partner in crime, Craig Reith, how are you tonight, sir? I'm doing all right. It was a chunky weekend here, mostly wet, and then got really hot uh, for a day, which I don't like at all, but it cooled off a bit. Uh, Monday wasn't too bad. Um, got through it, so I'm doing well. Yeah. How are you? Yeah, it was it was definitely a Monday. We uh, The kids are counting down. Tomorrow's the last day of school where we're at, so they're, uh, they're pumped and... Uh, all sorts of energy so they're ready to roll so i you know i can't complain i mean it's another monday in the work week uh i was thankful that i was able to uh to be away a little last week but it didn't really feel like being away because there's a lot going on in my world uh so I'm, I'm glad to be back talking talking idp talking uh talking some of the things we love uh we thank you guys for hanging out with us and talking this uh this as well but if you have questions it doesn't have to just be idp related feel free to throw them in the chat you know, we take care of you guys. That's what we do here at Roto Heat. We're here to help you. Uh, it's all about you. And uh, with that being said, let's get at it. So we're talking rookie edge guys. For those of you that don't know that term edge rusher, uh, flea flicker is where it's mostly used right now. But I think it really will be something that becomes more commonplace in fantasy because edge is a very prominent position. And I think flea flicker is doing it right. Uh, with that being said, these are kind of guys that are defensive end, outside linebackers in 3-4. I mean, that kind of is what an edge player can be, uh, but not necessarily always that way. Uh, so let's let's have you start, Craig. Who is your, your top edge guy? And I believe it's the same for both of us. Yeah, our top two are the same. We have them slightly different you know, position-wise in our overall top rookies. And actually, our top four are the same. It's just three and four are swapped for us, um, pretty close in value-wise. But we both have Jalen Phillips, um, new guy for the Dolphins, and have to go very far from where he last played college down there at Miami. Um, it's looking like he's probably going to have a really good shot at earning a starting position down there. Um, you know, what that means for various rookies, we'll have to see, especially in our first what appears to be sort of rookie training camp time post-COVID. Um, fingers crossed on that. And today, at least I saw there was news that Melvin Ingram has still been in contact with the Dolphins, and he might sign there, which would be great for them. Um, real life-wise, fantasy-wise, of course, they could throw a monkey wrench into a lot of things, but that's not how teams think. Uh, but long-term still, um, Phillips, to me, has the highest immediate and then also long-term probably upside if things uh, play out for him the way that they could. He was a top recruit coming into college, and we talked about two weeks ago because I think we had kind of gone over some of this stuff with the linebackers too. Um, you know, he got hurt. Um, he got hurt a few times in some really weird one-off type of things, and he had retired for a little while. 
came back, switched from UCLA, and transferred down to Miami. And he put on a show, um, taking over basically for someone we'll talk about later, Gregory Rousseau. Um, I think he had even the same number that Rousseau had had the prior year when Rousseau sat out last year um, due to the COVID situation and getting ready for the draft. So, you know, Phillips sort of has your complete package. He could play that defensive end. He could also stand up and rush from the outside. And I think he's going to a situation where he'll have a chance to be able to rush the passer with a really great defense behind him because that secondary is awesome. And uh, they definitely needed an improved pass rush last year. That's something they worked on this offseason. And I can see him having a very nice, you know, rookie year. I don't expect him to have something like Chase Young did per se, but you know, I could see him ending up with a, if you have him in that edge position, you know, you're throwing a lot of guys in there. And I honestly running the numbers on one year of data. If you look at flea flicker, it's a little bit difficult to wrap your mind around where some of this is going to play out, but he could, you know, fall into that bottom edge to sort of situation in a league, I think. And if he manages to do that in his first year, I mean, the sky's the limit for him and that immediate production will be really nice. Yeah. The great thing about him is that, you know, even coming into this draft process, if you watched any of the scouting services, you know, your, your uh, like TDNs and things like that, he, they had him as a four, three D end or three, four outside linebacker. So going to a scheme like Miami, he could do both of those, you know, and, and in every give, any given situation, they could have him be in an edge guy with his hand in the dirt or have him stand up and attack, you know. So when they go and get a guy like a Melvin Ingram, I don't necessarily feel bad about that. Um, I think that doesn't necessarily do anything but help his value because then he's got somebody who's a proven winner and a guy who knows how to do it with him, helping him, developing him. Uh, I'm glad they got rid of, you know, a guy like a Kyle Van Noy because it doesn't necessarily help them with where they're trying to go. You know, uh, Van Noy outside of New England just has not really been extremely strong. Uh, so I think moving him so that they can have some of these younger guys get in and go, I think is really going to be helpful. From a fantasy perspective, I think, you know, Jalen Phillips really, uh, I think you're, you nailed it on the head. I was thinking kind of low-end, uh, edge two, high end edge three, you know, which basically means that in pinch on bye weeks, depending on the size of your league and rosters and all that, you could be playing him if you need be. Uh, but it's not somebody in year one, I'm going to say, oh, this is a weekly starter, you know, so that's yeah. kind of where I'm at with them. Uh, who is your next guy? And let's talk about him. Well, it's a guy you're probably a little bit more qualified to talk on than me, but Mr. Pay out of Michigan here. Um, I had him at six overall. You had him at three, but he was both our number two edge here. Uh, he has, we talked about before, what I feel, and I know some people are shying away from these terms, but I feel he has a nice high floor overall, but he also has a ceiling potential in that he had, just has a well-rounded game. He, you know, He's not a one-trick pony like some of these guys that we're going to talk about. He's able to hold his own against the run. You know, He has a great athletic profile that we saw leading up to the draft here, you know, uh, he had like a four, five, seven, 40 yard dash, 35 and a half inch vertical, 118 inch broad jump, 36 bench press reps. I mean, he did it all on the field. Um, in, in terms of everything that you'd want someone that's starting at like a four, three defensive end, which it looks like he's going to primarily be there in Indianapolis to do, he can do all of it. I don't see him excelling, in like one area much more over the other but i also like that for fantasy because you're not going to have a guy that's just 
coming up for pass rushing downs or just on the field for, you know, run defensemen going off the field. There's a really good chance that he could earn a spot as a starter that'll just stay on the field as much as he's able to. Now, you know, we've seen guys on offense and defense hit the rookie wall. Again, you're probably not looking at crazy high production in his first year, but it, best case scenario this year for him, I see earning that spot starting on the defense and then kind of seeing what I talked about where he stays on the field, you know, in whatever situation he can, because they don't have a ton of other, you know, higher end defensive line depth besides Buckner. And I really like the, uh, the spot there on the defense. And clearly, you know, like Phillips, it wasn't that far after Phillips went that pay went, it was like three or four picks um, right in the middle of the draft. So they're expecting big things out of them. And, you know, to me, Phillips is that higher end pass rusher potential, which most of the time gets you those big points in fantasy from your sort of edge or defensive line guys. But at the same time, pay has a better sort of floor to me because he does play the run better than Phillips, I think. Yeah. I mean, this could be a situation where you see Phillips with more sacks over time, but you see K Whitty pay having way more tackles and some sacks to go with, you know, uh, he fits really nicely in that scheme in Indy. I mean, think about what they have around him. You know, they have Tyquan Lewis across from him, which was, uh, I think, in 2018, second or third round pick. You know, DeForest Bucker came over from the 49ers to go with the fact that they have a strong middle there with Darius Leonard and Okariki and, you know, and then they, the Zaire Franklin, I think, would be their other starting linebacker. I mean, uh, you know, this defense is ready for a guy like Pay to step in. Uh, because he can either be one of two things. He can be your run stuffer with that raw power that he has, or he's got enough burst to be a guy that they can send after the quarterback because offensive linemen, if you're, if you're going to double anybody on that defensive line, they're going after Buckner. I mean, he's their star defensive lineman right now. So that gives pay the opportunity, especially early on to go after some of those sacks, which he may not get a ton of them because I think he's better at stopping the run than he is going after the quarterback. But I think he, you know, in year one, I think he could, you know, if somebody told me at the end of the year he's the top rookie when it comes to sack production, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not expecting it, but I wouldn't be surprised. So. And along with that, too, someone that we're not going to talk about here tonight outside of this, I don't think. Um, Deo Odangbo, um, they, they take him in the second round. Sort of, a, you know, we'll see what we find out about him this year as we go through the summer, but is he going to play? I can't imagine he's going to be on anything, um, you know, but that initial reserve list where he could come off it later in the year because he had, I think it was his Achilles he had torn. Mm-hmm. It might have been at ACL, I Don't remember. I think it was Achilles he had torn um, leading up to draft through the preparation, but they still thought highly enough of him to take him in the second round, mm-hmm. um, you know, like the middle of that second round. So they were clearly looking to boost their defensive line to get pieces, young pieces with potential next to Buckner. And assuming, you know, pay pans out here and Dale comes back from injury next year, even you could have a more so dangerous defensive line. And those two you know, on each end could be a really potentially dangerous situation where, you're having a harder time trying to double someone like Buckner or pay if he starts uh, progressing. Oh, for sure. I mean, the, the thing about uh, Dio that, that I like the most was, I mean, he's really a perfect size for that type of edge guy that they deploy on the opposite side. You know, they like the guys on the other side, typically around 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, 
a little lighter in the you know 250 to 265 range and i think he's at like 265 270 uh but he from what i recall and i'd have to dig into my notes specifically but i remember him being a guy that had a good good first burst but he dropped off off my list or way down it due to injury you know because he was from vanderbilt right i think that's where he was yep. at um he is a guy that you know the two guys ahead of him are easily jumpable if he comes in and really produces because Ture and um, Lewis were both guys they drafted in 2018 and they just haven't really developed yet. Uh, they were also drafted by the prior regime prior to Frank Reich. You know, so are these Frank's yeah. guys or are they just holdovers? You know, I mean, there's a lot that goes into that conversation. So I absolutely agree with you. He could be a sneaky sleeper that if you can roster him, if your league's deep enough and you can stash him, and edge is one of those hard to get positions, you know, take a shot on him and see what happens. It doesn't hurt. Uh, I, I think it'll take him longer than it will be pay to see, you know, kind of the return on the investment just because he has to bounce back from injury. Yes. You know, he has to get up to speed and, and do all those things. So I, I think it'll take a little longer time, but definitely a worthwhile investment. If you're trying to take a swing for, you know, kind of a sleeper. I agree. All right, moving on. So this is where we differ a little bit. Your next one comes in at eight overall, and I have my next at nine overall. And then we have these guys reversed for third and fourth. Um, so you have eight and 12, and I have nine and 11, so slightly different. But you have Adafe Owe, and I have Gregory Rousseau. Um, so I'll talk on Rousseau first because that's the order that I have him in here. And if you'd listened to us pre-draft, um, you know, we were probably more down on Mr. Rousseau than a lot of places where I didn't see him going in the first round when all of a sudden done and he snuck in there at the end. Um, but what it was to me was going to sort of a perfect situation. You know, Rousseau, like we had talked about so much prior, is a guy that's going to have to refine his game and learn to be more than just a pass rusher if he's going to be a starter and a star in the NFL. And he's going to a situation where they took another guy that we'll talk about later and bash him. So, you know, they're bringing some youth to pair with, like, Ed Oliver. Um, and I think they still have Phillips there, too, for their other defensive tackle. But their defensive ends are getting old outside of uh, A.J. Epinesa, who they took in the second round last year. Addison and Hughes are both in their mid-30s this year. And they're fine players, but, you know, they're not long for the NFL. Um, that's just the sad reality of it. And Rousseau, sky's the limit. You know, you've heard that over and over. Just, he has that pure pass rushing talent. He has great size where, you know, if he refines his game, he can kick inside too on plays, I think, and provide that element from the inside. He just has to, like I said, get more refined in his technique, expand on what he does, prove that he can handle himself against the run. But, you know, he's a guy that if he's going to hit his ceiling, he could still end up being the top guy in this draft class. He could have been a much higher pick, except he sat out last year. And then you only have that one-year tape on him. And like we see even for guys that have been in college for four years, maybe, they start picking you apart. And when there's only one-year tape to start picking apart, they start seeing things like, well, was this more of a coverage sack? You know, was he getting help from the other side more? And was he in the right place at the right time? You know, people start looking at this stuff and like maybe that I think it was 19 and a half sack season in his one year really at Miami wasn't as amazing as people thought it was. But clearly you watch the tape. He has that pass rushing, that special pass rushing skill. It's just going to be a matter of what can he add to it. 
and can he be doing that at an NFL level? So I still have questions about whether or not, but the situation, their coaching staff, what they have around him, I love the spot for him. So that's why he went higher up my board once he actually got a landing spot. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm 100% in agreement with you uh, on all those fronts. Uh, they're at the point, you know, Buffalo is a team that's at the point where they can take these swings. They've been successful at developing and building their roster uh, between being, you know, uh, being and, and the coaching staff. They, they've done a good job building the team at this point. Going to the playoffs, they're getting stronger. Why not take a couple of uh, home run shots? And if these guys can develop, then you look like the smartest guy in the room. Um, Russo, this is the perfect spot for him because I believe that you've started rubbing off on me. The more and more I get further into evaluating guys, if we don't have a lot to look at, I start to have the Craig, well, how you haven't done it consistently and you haven't done it for very long. So you start to get a little worried. Um, so Russo was strong for a season. That was it. And, and even yeah. that, it wasn't, you know, uh, I, I mean, you know, like you mentioned, Jalen Phillips did just, just fine and probably looked even better doing what he was doing there in Miami. So it's like, okay, all those factors add up to me to go, all right, Russo, you've got to hit the perfect spot. And then he goes to Buffalo. I'm like, okay, yep. Nope. You know, that's the perfect spot. Uh, so I ultimately, if somebody told me Basham was a stronger candidate long-term to be IDP relevant, I wouldn't surprise me just because of the work ethic. And I've seen it for a period of time when he was in college, but both of them, I think could be really nice players in this defensive line. My worry though, with now with Epinesa and Vernon Butler and Ed Oliver and Russo and, you know, and Basham and what they've got is, you know, at what point, do we start feeling like this is kind of like the new England Patriots running backs where you have so many that it's like, is somebody really getting enough snaps to be IDP relevant? You know, obviously, like you said, some of those guys are longer in the tooth, so they're going to be gone soon, but still, you're still at that point, you're still going to be trying to rotate in three, possibly four defensive ends between the two sides. At what point are we losing snaps and it's it's not as as appealing for IDP purposes? So that's that's my concern when you start getting super deep like these guys. But you know, typically the cream rises to the top. Yeah, and I mean, if he hits or Basham hits or you know Epinesa gets a a boost this year and you know hits because I think they had had a second round pick on him last mm-hmm. year too. You know, like you said, when one of those rises to the top, they're going to be the guy that's going to get that lion's share of snaps. And then you're going to still have guys rotating in. You have, you know, people rotating in and everything, it seems, except quarterback these days. And if you're the Saints, maybe you're doing that too. So, uh, you know, you got to find that value on defense where you can. But if someone does hit out of this group, you know, you kind of got to plant your flag and hope that you find that guy before his value skyrockets. But, you know, that may be where you can find value on someone like Rousseau here because, you know, if he went to a situation where it seems like he's going to be a clear starter from day one, uh, you'd probably have to spend more capital on him, and then you'd still run that same risk. I think it'd be a higher risk of him not panning out. Um, so you got to weigh that yourself. I don't know, you know, from what I've seen of where he goes, I don't know if I'm going to get any shares because I'd still like to wait till third round or later before I'm taking him in the sort of leagues that we have. And some of the people I know, they, they, they've seen that, you know, sort of like that 
Tredavian Clowney thing where they saw just the big plays, the highlights that made Clowney. Um, Clowney went in the first round in a league that I'm in, an IDP league. And, you know, he's been an all right NFL player, but he never lived up to that. And I do have some of that sort of fear with Rousseau, too, that they just see those highlights from that huge season that one year. Well, you got to look behind the curtain a little bit. Well, and I, and I think Basham, when you look at the physical skill set, I think Basham's more explosive. I think he does just about everything better than Rousseau. So it wouldn't surprise me if, if he turns out better than Rousseau. I mean, like the, it wouldn't surprise me at all. So I'm with you. I'm not touching him early. I don't own a share of him in IDP. I think I have him in the Pinnacle League, but I think that might be the only one, though, that I own a share because I drafted him last year in our startup. So I, but I, I don't know that I own any Russo shares. Otherwise I would have to verify, but uh, I would look elsewhere. I mean, you know, there's plenty of other guys, even, you know, even Basham, as I look at our rankings, you know, I was like, it wouldn't surprise me if in six months Basham's higher than Russo in my mind. Like I like them both, but I think Basham's got a stronger athletic profile and, and some of those things that you can't teach. Yeah, I mean, Rousseau has them on size, if you just look at, you know, clear right. size, and then you combine that athletic ability. I mean, to me, Rousseau has that pure pass rushing skill, just higher than Basham, but I do like what Basham does more all around, sort of like we talked about, the dichotomy between Pay and Phillips. You can kind of see the same sort of thing where, to your point, I think Basham, you know, if neither one of them hit their ceiling, Basham is probably going to be around a little bit longer just because he does all those other little things well. Mm -hmm. And he has that, you know, lower center of gravity. He's got that power. And, you know, you could stick him at a defensive end to just be a run stopper, even someone maybe more like a Cameron Hayward if he went to a situation like a 3-4 where Rousseau, he could play all across your defensive front, but he just has to get better at stuff besides pass rushing. Yep, absolutely. Otherwise, you're Dante Fowler. Oh, which one one valuable season of IDP production? Um, yeah, and we're just to be clear too. You know, whenever we're talking about you know value and this and that, it's IDP value. We're not talking about the NFL real life value. We're all just speculating on that. We're trying to find you know where do we have this value from the IDP fantasy perspective? Absolutely. Uh, and and on the on the other side, now I'll move over to and talk about Owe. Uh, Jason Owe, Odafe Owe, you know, whatever name you know him by. Uh, I think he's another guy like Rousseau that landed in a really good spot for what he can be. Uh, I think he is going to need some time to develop uh, as an edge guy. But in that that defense, they're really rebuilding that linebacking core strongly. You know, I like Queen in the middle, uh, Owe on the outside. I think those are two really nice pieces, and I think that could really benefit away in the long haul he's a guy though that i'm not touching until you know mid to late third round because i think it'll take him a little bit of time uh, i think there's still some refinement to his game that needs to happen uh you know uh, i was just pulling up my notes to look at him and uh you know he's he's definitely a very explosive guy off the edge but i think some of the nuances to 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 fighting the tackle and getting off the tackle and doing some of those things. I think he needs a little bit of development in some of those kind of the finer points of, of rushing the passer that I think might take a little time. I could be completely wrong because I've never been an edge rusher in the NFL, but based on what I've seen compared to guys that I, that I've seen do it, 
I have some concerns, but I really like the player long term, which is why I have him here uh, with Rousseau as well. Uh, what's your thoughts on Owe? Yeah, it's sort of a weird, you know, flip of when you talk to Rousseau. Because you look at Owe, he had, I think, three years. Yeah, three years at Penn State. Um, the most that he ever had for sacks was five years, two years ago. Six and a half tackles for a loss last year. Um, he, he was the opposite, where he got pressure, and like he had his nose in there, but he just wasn't getting stats. So is he going to be able to translate that to the NFL? Um, like you said, he went to a situation where there's going to be opportunity I think I kind of would have liked it better, you know, even if he had gone to a situation more like Buffalo, where I'm not saying he's going to start for the Ravens, because a lot of times you don't see these rookies start even first rounders. Um, but, you know, they have invested some higher ish picks, too. I mean, Jalen Ferguson was a third round pick. Tyus Bowser was a second round pick. And these are all, you know, two or three years ago or more. Um, and like you said, neither one of them to this point has really shown a whole lot. Pernell McPhee is probably one of them that's going to start with Queen and Harrison. Uh, the good news is they have a really solid veteran defensive line in front of them that knows how to eat up blockers. Brandon Williams, Derek Wolf, Calias Campbell, who's just always underrated if you talk about veterans. Mm-hmm. And then that secondary behind them is just still a great secondary. Oh, yeah. So the linebacking core, if there was a weakness, that was probably it as a whole. Once they lost Judon, and like you said, they've done some stuff to rebuild it. I'm just a little bit more wary on OA because we haven't seen what we'd like to out of a first-round pick in the NFL. He has a complete athletic profile you'd want. Just not getting that production is a little scary for me. Yeah, and, and it's tough. I mean, you think about the type of competition he was going against. He faced a lot of NFL-caliber offensive linemen in the Big Ten there. But he still should have. Yeah. You still should have seen something more than what you did see if, for that. You know, for high draft capital that they invested in him. So I agree with you. He could definitely be a guy that, like some of these other names that they've invested high draft capital that haven't panned out so far. You know, the Tyus Bowsers of the world. We'll see. Um, I think he. I think I feel more confident with him over Rousseau, which is why I put him just one spot up above him when it comes to edge rankings, though. Who's next up for you? Yeah, so our number fives we're at. I have a guy at 15. You have one at 13. Um, we'll go with mine because yours is right after. Or, sorry. Mine is right after yours in the ring. So at 15, I have a Carlos Basham who we had touched on. Um, and you have him at 16. So really close to each other. Um, we spoke on him, so we don't need to go over him a whole lot more, I don't think. Um, but, you know, he just was an all-around nice player um, at Wake Forest. Didn't play a whole lot his first year. Second year, he turned it up. And then his third year, which was 2019, you know, 10 sacks, 18 tackles for a loss on top of 57 overall tackles. Um, abbreviated season last year, um, but he still had a nice season in six games, five sacks, four and a half tackles for a loss. He's got a great size, like 6'4". Uh, I think it was like 230 or so. And Again, going to a great situation where he's going to be able to learn from a veteran team, some pass rushers that, you know, maybe weren't top-end IDP talent or something, but guys that were able to make a nice long career for themselves and be productive in the NFL. Um, I don't think, again, he has the same high ceiling potentially as someone like Rousseau, 
Um, but a really all-around great player that I know we talked a lot about pre-draft, and I still like where he landed. It's just going to be a matter of kind of like what we talked about with Rousseau a few minutes ago. Is he going to be able to set himself apart in the first couple of years to have that higher snap share count? Yeah, I, lo- I loved Basham's development throughout college. You know, you could see a clear upward trajectory when it came to developing the physical side of it. Like, I think he's got some of the best hands when fighting the defenders in this draft or the offensive lineman in this draft, you know, he does a really good job with his, uh, you know, with his rushing ability, rushing the passer ability to, to use his hands to help get off some of those blocks. And I think, I think that'll help him out really well. Uh, you know, he's probably a rotational guy for the first year, maybe even year yep. and a half, depending on how long the veterans stick around, but he's definitely an, a guy with really nice upside long-term for sure. And then, uh, like I said, you're next to is uh, Oziz Ojolari, who went to Ojolari. Oh, this is a fun one. So, you know, pre-draft, I tried to, and, we, and you know, uh, some people try to project where a guy goes. I really didn't know where I liked Ojolari going. I didn't know kind of how I felt about him uh, when it came to if he was going to be kind of a 3-4 a backer or a 4-3 or a end. Uh, I think he went to a really nice situation with the Giants because as much as people are kind of nervous about what they're doing on offense with, you know, with uh, with Daniel Jones and what's going on there, their defense is moving in a great direction. You know, um, we talk about guys like Peppers and Leonard Williams, but they've added plenty of nice pieces uh, to that defense. And I think Ojolari fits right into with the fact that he doesn't have to step in and be the man but he's got the upside and the skills to really uh be nice as an outside linebacker kind of their rushing backer uh because think about what they have you know they they grabbed ryan anderson from washington in the offseason they have blake martinez from green bay and then lorenzo carter i mean he has better physical upside and physical abilities than all of those guys combined so he could easily kind of become uh, their their sack artist from the linebacker position where Blake Martinez you know is you're going to get your tackles and and be strong in that category is most years uh, but Ojolari really they can have him rush and I'm excited about sack potential there uh, now when you look at the the physical profile uh, he's got good quickness I don't think he's got great quickness uh, I think his burst is is above average but you know there's room to grow I think Rushing from the linebacker position will be nice because they can scheme him to be able to try to shoot gaps and do some things like that where he doesn't have to try to immediately fight off a defensive end which or an offensive tackle, which I don't think he would do very well of. Uh, having that ability to kind of build up speed and, and do some of those things will be really good for him going after the quarterback. Uh, which is why I have him, you know, in firmly inside my top ten. I think he's like my number, you know, I think what are we at five right now, five or six when it comes to our edge yep. rating. So, uh, you know, Ojolari's a guy I think is is in a great position, uh, and you don't have to draft him early. You know, I'm seeing him go in drafts in the fourth round, pretty much as early as I've seen him go. So you should have no problem getting him, you know, mid to late fourth as kind of a flyer uh, at the linebacker position. What's your take on Ojolari? Yeah, I had him not that far off. You had him at 13 overall. I have him at 18 um, as my seventh um, edge guy in this class. He has a really interesting profile, like you said. I mean, he's got a huge 
a wingspan. His hands are fast. He can really get off the edge. He needs to get better at, you know, being able to break off of blocks and not over-pursue, which he has a tendency to do from what I had seen. But I really do think being a 3-4 outside linebacker is best for him. I'm just hoping that the defensive line is able to replicate some of what they did with their uh, pressure last year because last year they didn't have a whole lot outside their defensive line getting consistent pressure. It was sort of a hodgepodge of different outside linebackers being put in there and you have a couple good games out of a few and they've sort of remade it uh, this year, although they did have a lot of injuries last year, which did lead to that with their linebacking core. But we're going to have to see if Leonard Williams is still going to be able to get those pressures that he's always had throughout his career into sacks again, but it still should be a nice defensive line. Um, so I do like that, but I still feel like he's going to be the guy. It almost feels like that, Hey, you're our pass rusher. And if he does start off showing that there isn't a whole lot else, they really have to scheme for mm-hmm. in terms of that. Um, and I'm not saying teams are going to have to scheme against him right away, but you know, if you're not concerned about someone else on the other side, necessarily as much, you can shift a little bit more focus and worry about the guy that's better. So I like him. I think that defense overall is great. Again, an amazing secondary behind him. So, you know, they talk about coverage sacks in the NFL. He could certainly be the beneficiary of that with that secondary that they have there. Um, so, yeah, I like the position. And maybe there's some subconscious. I, I don't want <laughs> a Giants outside linebacker to be wrecking havoc on my Cowboys because they should have done more to re- uh, rebuild their offensive line. Which they didn't do. I mean, how how um, might? But yeah, I mean, like I said, I have him a seven, eighteenth overall, so I still like him, um, and I'll probably end up with some shares just to hedge my bets as a Cowboys fan. Yeah. Well, and how the mighty have fallen. I mean, just think, just a couple of years ago, Cowboys were the offensive line that everybody wanted to have, and not so good. Running into injuries, retirements, you know, people not necessarily panning out. Um, someone had a Twitter poll up of you could put. It wasn't a poll, but just an open-ended question, rather. If you could put two Cowboys, any two Cowboys at any point in time, on the Cowboys now, who would you pick? You know, people are going all defense, defense. I said Tyron Smith in his prime and Larry Allen in his prime. You, know I mean? you give me those guys with Zach Martin and then, you know, heck, put Collins outside there. I mean, Larry Allen could block half of a defensive line himself back in the day. Like, that's, man, the Cowboys line, they were just spoiled back then, and I – Thought Jerry had it figured out that, hey, we we know we need an offensive line. We did that back in the 90s when they had it. We did it, you know, when Romo was having those teams, you know, towards the end of his time and the start of Dak. And, just, and now it's just fallen off, and it doesn't seem like they, they get the same feeling. So maybe I'm wrong, but it just it fell off last year with injuries, and I'm not seeing a whole lot that is going to be better this year, which scares me. When you're starting Ben DiNucci, you've made bad choices. Yeah, well, if the Green Bay Packers start Blake Bortles, you're not going to complain about their bad choices, Brad. So, I will be perfectly happy. Green Bay, <laughs> if you start Blake Bortles, I'll send you a fruitcake in the mail. All right, I appreciate it. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, you know, I think Ojolari is a guy that you know, uh, if, if he does show out well and he has some big games, teams will be able to take him out in scheme to stop him. Because they don't, you know, from the linebacker position, there's not a lot of speed there, which is 
why I expected them to target some speed at the linebacker core because they need someone that can cover sideline to sideline. He'll be on the outside. He'll do some things to rush the passer, but uh, you're absolutely right. If teams start to scheme against him and and take him out of the equation, then that's that's dangerous, uh, you know. But I think when you're when you're looking at the trajectory of this defense, they're moving in the right direction. So my hope is that you know if you can get on board with a piece like Ojolari then, you know, as they continue to build this linebacker core, because that's really the weak link at this point now is, and they're obviously you can tell they're focusing on it. They're, they're trying to fix the things that aren't strong about their team. So as long as quarterback develops and, and the, the wide receivers and the offensive linemen and, and all this that they built on the offensive side can develop, then next year in the draft, they can focus on continuing to shore up some of the weaknesses and, and maybe you become a complete team you know, I mean, I know that's uh, trusting Gettleman and company a lot more than they probably deserve, but, uh, you know, I would take a chance on Ojolari. I like the player. I like the character. I like the upside. I like the physicality I and mean, all of it. So. <clears throat> so it looks like the next guy I have to talk about is the same guy for both of us. Yeah, so this is the last one. Through seven, we have the same guys just in slightly different orders. And then the last three. Um, all bets are off. We got six different people to talk <laughs> all about bets are here. Off. Yep. Oh, great. So I have him slightly higher than you, my sixth overall, or excuse me, six edge rushers, 17 overall. You have him to seven, 19 overall. Joe Tryon from Washington going to Tampa Bay at the end of the first round. Um, this was a position I thought they might focus on, and, you know, I like Tryon a lot. I didn't necessarily know if he was going to be a first-round pick. I thought probably more of a second round, but um, his 2019 season, which is the last he played, he sat out in 2020, which would have been his junior year. Um, eight sacks, 12 and a half tackles for a loss, 41 overall. And he, you know, like all these guys that we're talking about, basically. But he has a really, really nice athletic profile. Um, now, one of the things that we've talked about with some of these guys on the off, or not me because I'm not there, but I know you've talked about, like, on the offensive show, like uh, with um, Zach Wilson and stuff, um, the competition that he played wasn't, you know, it isn't um, UW Whitewater or something to throw back to my alma mater that he's facing. But, you know, he's not down there facing the Alabamas, the Georgias, and things like that. Um, where is it on here? My notes. So, yes, better certainly as a 3-4 outside linebacker where he's going to be here for Tampa. For the time being, he's going to be able to learn from JPP and Shaq Barrett, which I think is great because, um, again, and being able to learn from someone. And a lot of these guys, you're hearing us say the same thing. You don't have as much on tape. You don't have as much experience. They're going to need to learn and grow. Um, but the guy's got great balance. You know, he's quick. He's quicker and faster than he is strong. But, you know, I didn't see a huge issue um, for strength either. You know, he was able to get off of blocks. Um he, he would need to get stronger because, like I said, he's more faster and quicker than he is a power guy. Um, but he's able to get past guys. And like I said, the biggest thing that stuck out to me was his balance that I thought, you know, he's able to stay on his feet and get around and get to where he needs to go in a short period of time. So I didn't have him this high pre-draft, um, but sort of like uh, Rousseau, I think he went to just a great situation in Tampa to be able to learn from those guys and just quite honestly a veteran locker room of professionals. 
they didn't just win the Super Bowl for nothing. I mean, they, you know, <laughs> they built that team very quickly to win it, and they did. Uh, and you're absolutely right. I don't really have anything extra to add. Uh, Tryon is a really fun guy to think about long term, but that on the other side of it, I get a little nervous long term because who knows how long Arians and the staff is going to be there. You know, if they if they yeah. run it back again, does he hand the reins over to a guy like a Byron Leftwich? And what does that defense look like? And you know, if if they stay at three four, I love Tryon long term. I think he's great from the edge. I don't know how I feel about him with his hand in the dirt. Uh, and, and because I just don't have much to work off of when it comes to film on that. Yeah. So that's my concern there. Uh, but, you know, on the other side of it, this, you know, Arians could be coaching another few years and it doesn't matter. And, you know, and JPP walks off into the sunset after this year and then Tryon's the man. And, you know, and if you got him at, at the late fourth, fifth round price, then you're, you know, happy because you're going to get a better return on your investment. Well, that's the nice thing I think about, you know, he's a first-round talent here in the NFL. Um, you're probably not going to need to draft him unless you're in a deep league at all, mm-hmm. I would think. And he's probably, unless there's, you know, injuries or something, not going to have to play much this year at all. So he might be a guy a year from now that is still on waivers or you can get for a, a late pick thrown or something if you still like him. Because I don't think he's going to have, you know, with what we know right now, assuming no injuries, fantasy relevance this year. Um, but I'm fine with that. You know, in deeper leagues or if you're rebuilding, he's a guy that I really like to put on a taxi squad or have on your bench to just keep and see what happens. Like, you know, you'll see some of those guys um, on the offensive side of it. You know, we talk about um, uh, 2-2 Atwell is a bad example because I know the fantasy community as a whole is sour on him. But he's going to a crowded situation that, you know, has some guys that we like ahead of him. They've taken a whole bunch of receivers lately. If you can get him later because of the fantasy community not being as high on him or something and stash him, he has the draft capital. He's going to what most people call a good offensive mind. They've got a better quarterback there. Sorry, Brad, now uh, in Stafford. So Stafford's never been to a Super a Bowl. Guy. Get out of here. Watch what you say. He'll make it this year now, just to spite you. No, I hope he gets. I hope he gets one. Uh, I, all jokes aside, um, yes, he's better than Goff, but you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it, you know, uh, you could return a very strong investment if you, you know, buy Tryon and things happen the way that we anticipate they could happen in Tampa. Uh, okay, so I'm going to go to my next guy, which yep. isn't even on your list. Joseph Asai, Joseph Asai, defensive end from the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, I think this is an interesting spot for him because they're quickly building a defense there that I think is respectable. Uh, you know, when you look at what they've got, you know, they picked up DJ Reader in the in the interior last offseason. They drafted Hubbard back in 2018. Uh, Larry Joby they got from Cleveland this year. Uh, they had Trey Hendrickson from the Saints. You know, they've got... A lot of pieces, and then they add a guy like Osai who, you know, when you look at all those other players, Hubbard has the most pass rushing ability, but I don't think any of them really stand up to the explosiveness of Joseph Osai. So if they brought Osai in to attack the quarterback and and do some things like get after the quarterback and they're using him on pass rush situations, he really could be a guy that could disrupt things and get you some sacks early on. Um, so Asai is a guy that I'm willing to take a shot on because when you look at the back half of this edge class, there's a lot of questions. 
uh, and a lot of guys that could push themselves into the conversation. And Osai at Texas was a guy that I liked what I saw. Um, I liked the development of the player, and I think he could ultimately be a guy that turns in fantasy production for you for the long term because Cincinnati's building something solid there. What's your thoughts about Osai? To me right now, he's really just a pass rushing specialist, which is probably how he's going to be used currently with the Bengals. You know, I don't see right now Hubbard or Hendrickson with that money that they got coming off the field very much. Um, you know, you could put him, he has a decent size here where, you know, you could conceivably have him with a, like a five-man front or something and have him down there with his hand in the dirt as opposed to just a four-man front. Um, I'm not just sure immediately where he's going to fit into this. You know, they had to bring in some newer guys, like you talked about for the defensive line that they were rebuilding, because uh, Dunlop was traded last year. I think they traded him to Seattle, but he's on Seattle either way. And then Lawson, who uh, left in free agency, is no longer there. So they had to find stuff. Um, he doesn't really have. And I mean, if you look at their defensive line, they aren't spending a whole lot of draft capital on it. So out of the guys that they have, they're the third or fourth round is pretty much the highest that they're spending. He's just going to need to get better. And I don't see a whole lot of production out of him the first year or two with what they have there. Um, he, he can get after the passer. I'm not discrediting that, but especially run defense, if he's going to be a long-term IDP player, he's going to have to get better. I don't discount that. Um, I like the upside and I like the potential there for sure. So. I'll take a shot on him at yeah. this point in the in the uh, in the rankings. Yeah, I mean, and he'll have opportunity at some point because, like I said, he's not going to be inside people. People teams do a lot of shifting and rotation of players. Um, and Sam Hubbard, you know, we really don't know if you want to go that route. What their plan is for him long term? Maybe they are thinking farther down the road that we're not going to want to pay Hubbard what he might command on the market and. We're looking to see if we have a replacement here, if we're able to. So um, it, it'll be just, I mean, this is literally all of these guys that we're talking about here. It'll probably be a few years before you know whether or not you have anything. And most of them, you're probably not going to be starting in the first year or two. But this is more, like we said, dynasty depth guys at this point. Absolutely. And your next guy is a Viking. So why don't you tell us about him? <sighs> yeah. Notes on here, but Patrick Jones, I think he was a third round pick this year to uh, Rob Sullivan's Vikings. And he also had a nice past two years at Pittsburgh. Um, One of the other ones we'll talk about here coming up, um, Mr. Weaver, his cohort in Pittsburgh. Um, But he had eight and a half and nine sacks, 11 and a half, 12 and a half TFL respectively so the last two years he was very productive which is nice to see and he's also going to be going to a situation where having a third round draft capital and uh just a mess sort of defensive end for the vikings he should have an opportunity to play um he didn't have anything amazing as far as you know like uh, pre-draft um, pro day and all that but he has good size you know he's 6'5 225 as she's still you know has some room to put on some muscle but he grew throughout his college career, like you had mentioned previously with other guys you like to see, like his production went up. Um, he's explosive. Um, he, he isn't the most flexible, you know, but he keeps after it as far as going after the quarterback. And whether or not Hunter is there, which, it, I mean, 
half a year ago, it sounded like Hunter was just gone. I think if he still wants to be gone, so you could run into that situation where there isn't a whole lot else there for pass rushing, which we talked about it could hinder a guy, but he's also going to be getting that playing time, I think, and have an opportunity to be a starter. Um, so probably not still someone you're going to be starting right away, but we'll have an opportunity to grow there faster than a couple of the other guys we mentioned, I think. Yeah, I mean, and Jones has the ability and the tools to be successful, and going to a team like Minnesota is very appealing because they know, you know, you've seen proven success with their coaching and development of these uh, of these edge players over the years. I mean, Daniil Hunter was a guy that people weren't talking about and then became a household name for a while there. You know, Stephen Weatherly is a guy that's a little under the radar. People are intrigued by, you know, that could possibly develop. So I trust the team. Um, I know they haven't been great in the wins and losses column, but coaching on the defense, they've made some good choices on that line. And, you know, and, and Jones has some potential for sure. Um, RP uh, had a question in the chat. I want to get some more definition of it because I want to make sure we get them the right answer. So, uh, Pete, if you could throw, if you could answer my question in the chat, I will answer your question here in a minute. Uh, Jaws asks, wait till on the clock to trade down from pick two. Uh, right now, the immediate need is quarterback in a one QB league because this team has Watson and Garoppolo. So, obviously, pick two is way too high in one QB to go quarterback. What are you doing at pick two? Are you just taking BPA or are you trading down? What are you, what are you thinking there, Craig? If that's your situation, I'd certainly like to trade down. You know, it has to make sense for you, though. How far are you trading down? I mean, if you're going from pick two in a 10 or 12 team league, you probably don't need to take a quarterback in the first round. I'm not a. This is where knowing your league comes in. I mean, my only one quarterback league at this point um, that I've been in for any amount of time people are going to reach on quarterback. So you're going to have Trevor Lawrence end up going in the first round. And I think you're probably seeing more of that this year than ever just because of the hype on Trevor Lawrence. I still have other guys that I would be fine taking, but you have to consider Wilson and Lawrence if you're looking for this year help, which it sounds like that's what you're hoping for. How far can you go before you're going to have to take one of those guys? And if you only like Lawrence, you may only want to trade back to pick seven or eight, depending on how your league views this stuff. And that limits your options. You know, if you can trade into the early second round or something, you know, you have more flexibility for what you get back in return. But don't make a trade just to make a trade. And if you're not getting good value on that trade, keep the pick. You know, uh, Rick always preaches draft for talent, trade for need. In a one quarterback league, unless you're, you know, 14 teams or more, you could probably get a serviceable serviceable quarterback for less. Um, so that's what I would look at. But your thoughts? Yeah, and, and so, Josh, my take on it would be if you're trading back, um, I would have somebody get a quarterback in that deal. You know, so if you trade back, trade back, you know, at the, at the 6 to 10 range, have somebody throw in their quarterback, then you can just take whatever the best player is there and kind of float with your quarterback being whatever, you know? Uh, so if you've got a guy who wants to move from, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, all the way up to two to get Najee Harris, Jamar Chase, whatever, whatever their top priority is, then I would have them throw in a quarterback and a future pick in the deal, you know? So if you want to move up from eight to two, give me eight, 
give me a future, you know, first or second and a quarterback because in one QB leagues, quarterback is devalued. People don't always say that, but that tends to be the way they act when it comes to trading. I've never had, you know, even in the, I have a one QB dynasty with IDP that I do. And I tried to trade all of my quarterbacks and guys were not giving me any value for them. So I just, I just had a, you know, a few extra quarterbacks and sat on them until the value made sense for me to move them. Uh, so that would be my take on it. If you're going to move back from two, make sure that you get really good value or get a quarterback and a future pick in the deal. And then you don't have to worry about drafting quarterback at whatever that pick's going to be. Then you can just take whatever the BPA is. Or sit at two and take Jamar Chase because probably Najee Harris goes one. You take the top wide receiver in the class and you just keep adding on to the strength of your team. Uh, and then, you know, like Craig said, try to trade for one later. Uh, so hopefully that helped Jaws, uh, and good luck with that deal. Hopefully it works out for you. I, in that one QB league, I desperately needed running back. Going into the draft, my running backs were David Montgomery, and I think that was it. And I wound up turning David Montgomery and a couple of firsts into Najee Harris and Nick Chubb. So now my running backs went from a weakness to a strength. Trading is just that easy sometimes. Uh, R. Pete says, I'm asking for IDP rookie sleepers for Dynasty. Craig, I'll let you start with this one. Some some sleepers in your mind. Who are guys that, that are sleepers? Yeah, so, you know, he mentions here, like, uh, high talent players that are blocked with their new team that would be worth waiting for. Um <laughs> It's kind of funny because I think we both have one on our list here that we were going to talk about that I'll mention, although one of them um, you may be able to get later, and it may blow up in your face uh, like it may in the NFL here. Um, the one that I had, he was taking the sixth round, is Quincy Roche. He had played opposite. He had came from Temple. He played opposite uh, Phillips this year, but he also had a really nice season. Um, I had it pulled up here. He had... Four and a half sacks, but he had 14 and a half tackles for a loss, 45 tackles overall. He had, you know, much better uh, three seasons before at Temple, but, you know, lower level of competition. He still showed he could do it. Um, he would be an outside linebacker slash edge uh, for Pittsburgh, who's probably going to be a backup to start the year behind Alex Highsmith and or TJ Watt. Um, Highsmith showed well last year, and he had been a third-round pick. Now that Dupree is gone, um, so I like him. Also, oddly enough, talking about Dupree going to Tennessee, Rashad Weaver is blocked there, you know, outside linebacker by Landry and Dupree, who had recently signed there. However, um, and this just recently came out, um, seems like Tennessee is having stuff blow up in their face with the draft. Um, Weaver has been charged with a simple assault of a woman um, that happened before the draft that didn't apparently come out until after the draft or, you know, get made known. And we know how this stuff is seen and what that can do to someone's career potentially. Um, Weaver does have uh, higher draft capital. I think he was a third or fourth rounder. I don't recall um, which one it was. But he was a guy that you know we had liked in sort of that sit and wait see like we're talking about with these three guys at the end. He may fall even farther if it sounds like there's going to be something here um, about this. And then it's just going to be one of those things how are you going to weigh this? Look into it a little bit before your draft to see if you're comfortable potentially wasting a pick like uh, the Titans did 
last year and they may have done this year. Um, so for edge guys that I don't know how much you break this down. Um, Derek Forrest is a name. I, I don't know that he's really blocked, but Brad can speak to him a little bit more. And then defensive tackle wise, we had mentioned him Davion Nixon. I like a lot. So if you have to start a defensive tackle, he'd be a guy to look at that felt, I think it was the late fourth or fifth round. Um, but going to be, a, I think, a great defensive tackle for an up-and-coming Panthers defense. Yeah, you know, so, uh, Pete, it, it also depends on, on your league makeup. You know, so are you having to start corner? Are you having to start D-tackle? Um, I'm not going to touch on corner, but I do want to I do want to say, uh, R. Pete, if you want to see how Craig and I have these guys ranked, uh, we have offensive and defensive ID uh, rankings combined over on rotoheat.com. So just FYI, if you want to see everybody that we have ranked rookies-wise, we have it over there for you. Um, a guy that we talked about, Joe Tryon, I would throw him on this list because he's currently blocked by JPP and Barrett and some of them, but he's worth waiting for. Should fall to late if – if even at all drafted, depending on how deep your draft goes. Um, Derek Force is a fun safety. He went to Washington, right? He's in Washington. Uh, I had the wrong name then. Sorry. Is, is that who you're talking about? The kid from Cincinnati <laughs> who went, I think he went to Washington, didn't he? Yeah, it, you're right. And I like him and we should speak on him too, because, you know, I think we do have some uncertainty in that Washington secondary, uh, but Barnes, Oh Derek, oh, Derek Barnes. Oh, Derek Barnes. Oh, the more and more I dig into Derek Barnes, um, you know, because I looked at him a little pre-draft, but it was more so because I'm in Fort Wayne area and he went to Purdue and um, we had people on the team that talked about him. So I dug into him a little bit more. That dude is nasty. At the linebacker position, he could see playing time as early as week one. I mean, with the way Detroit's linebacking group is and people are not looking at him, you know, I'm seeing him go undrafted uh, in rookie drafts, Pete. So he would be a guy that I would definitely look at. Um, the cool thing about Barnes is he's explosive. He's a sure tackler. He's got a, a mean streak about him. You know, he fits the profile of what Dan Campbell wants for his players, just like all the other guys they drafted on Wuzurike and um, uh, McNeil. You know, there, there's a lot of really nasty guys that went to Detroit in the draft. Uh, and I think, that bodes well for Derek, uh, for for Barnes. I think he's going to have potential to have a strong defensive line in front of him. So if he does, then he's going to have a plenty of potential to get after the quarterback, get tackles, get whatever they wind up doing with him. So he'd be a guy I would target. Um, Joe Tryon would be a guy I would target because he is actually blocked. He won't get playing time unless he's rotating in. Um, you know, from the secondary position, you know, Derek Forrest. Um, I would have said Javon Holland, but after they released their starting safety, uh, Holland probably has a pretty quick route to snaps and playing time, so he's probably not sleeping anymore. He's probably moved up drafts if you had your draft in the last week or two. Um, you know, another guy at the safety position, you know, Trevin Morig, who went to the Raiders. People are going to let him slide down drafts because I'm seeing it. More so because they have no idea what the Raiders are doing. They got 700 safeties. Yeah. Uh, you know, Divine Diablo, they're talking about at the linebacker position. You know, I think Mulray could slide in and be a starter, has better health than Jonathan Abram. Uh, so he'd be a guy I would take a shot on. If you need a cornerback, um, that's a tough position to really factor in. Um, I would probably target Stokes from Green Bay just because 
anybody who's opposite Alexander is going to get targeted just because of the fact that people don't want to throw at Jair. Uh, so Stokes would be a guy we'd consider, you know, if you're looking defensive tackle on Uzurike or Davian Nixon would be fine. You know, if you're looking for a true D end, Patrick Jones, who is a guy that, that Craig likes would be a guy I would target because he doesn't have a clear line to start, but he has a lot of upside. Anyone else? A few deeper names I got here. Uh, you talk about people that like are blocked. KJ Britt, um, he had some nice talent, and he's blocked clearly by Devin White and Levante David. So yeah. someone that might be worth sitting on, but he can probably get it for free. You know, I don't know how deep it is. You said it's deep. So going deep here, um, Jabril Cox is blocked by three guys right now, but in a year could be a starter for that Dallas team. Uh, Hamza Nasrildin for the Jets. Um, he went in the sixth round, but the guy is just an athletic freak, I think. And he might end up sort of being that safety linebacker hybrid. And then a guy, I don't recall how high you were on Brad, but he went in the fifth round. Uh, he's blocked, and you never know what the Patriots are doing. But Cameron McGrone, um, I liked his athletic profile a lot, and it was kind of something that it didn't feel like the Patriots really had like him. He's going to have to learn the defense and grow within it, and you still might not know what you're going to get because they treat their linebackers like they treat the running backs. Uh, but he's a guy I think that's worth keeping an eye on too. There you go. So hopefully, RP, that answers your question. You know, like I said, rotoheat.com, you can see Craig and my rankings on there. You can see how we have them mixed with offensive players as well. Um, so there's a lot for you to see there. Uh, and hopefully that helped. If it did help, don't forget, smash the like, the notification icon, stay up to date. Craig and I do this weekly. Um, next week, next Monday with the holiday, we won't be live. Obviously, it's Memorial Day. We want everyone to be able to have fun with their families and enjoy some quiet time. Uh, but we got three shows this week. So tomorrow night, we have a special guest, and I'm drawing a blank on it because I can't think of who it is. Nick Whalen was on last week. Um, it's Sully Me and rah, whoever shows up tomorrow night. You'll have to come back and check. Special guest. Yeah, whoever our special guest is. And I apologize to our special guest. Uh, I did not plan past tonight's show. I was trying to get ready for tonight. Didn't think about tomorrow. Um, and we will be doing Thursday night with the FYF team, the Front Yard Fantasy guys. Check out their YouTube channel. They do a game show that is amazing and funny. It's fantasy related. Uh, we are going to be going on, competing against them here on Roto Heat on YouTube. Um, we didn't get through all of our guys, but it's 1030. So or 9.30 in, uh, in Wisconsin time. Uh, so the show is over, but rotoheat.com, you can see everybody we have ranked. Uh, all of our rookies we have ranked. We have them mixed with offensive guys. I mean, the whole shebang. Uh, our ranking team, Craig and I, from the defensive side, we work tirelessly updating and making sure these are as up-to-date as possible. Uh, so hopefully that helped you guys. Don't forget, like, subscribe, do all those things. We are going to be pumping out a lot of individual content coming up here, getting you guys ready for not only redrafts, but just kind of the future for these individual players from the offensive and defensive side. So make sure you stick here. Make sure you go to rotoheat.com, rookiedraftguide.com if you need to know more about these rookies. Craig, anything else you need to add? No, I just wanted to throw out the names there. Uh, Peyton Turner and then uh, Chris Rumpf the second were the two guys that we didn't touch on. Um, but like Brad said, you can go see where our rankings are over at rotoheat.com. We got all sorts of different and exciting rankings, ways to look at them, whether they're combined or not. Um, and other than that, just be kind to each other.
world's a crazier place. It seems like it's getting crazier if you sit online for any period of time talking to people um, to see nastiness. Like Jackie Moon said in uh, Semi-Pro, ELE, everybody love everybody. Everybody love everybody. And remember that we love you guys. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the IDB Heat Seekers podcast with Brad Menendez, Craig Reith, and Paul Belden. You can find us over on Twitter at Roto Heat Fantasy or at RotoHeat.com.